As Brother E.M. Pinkley used to say, we have a goodly number here this morning. We appreciate all of you being here. We know that uh, this is the traditional Father's Day. I didn't realize until just recently that it was officially proclaimed Father's Day, the third Sunday of June, back in the 1970s. I thought it was much earlier than that, but it was just a state thing for a while and started out in the state of Washington, D.C., or Washington State, not D.C., and uh, it uh, started as a result of a woman who thought that her father, who raised her and her siblings without a mother, who had passed away, thought that it was time to honor fathers who reared children alone. And I thought that was an interesting twist on the origin of Father's Day. A couple of our ushers will be coming down the aisle. They have the study guides. We hope that you will take one and study with us a lesson about fathers, a father that I don't think I've ever preached on. And uh, Brother Mark Posey had this in one of his little bulletins. I thought it was a good idea, and so we're going to study this with us today. Most of us fathers realize we're getting older. Someone said that you know that you're getting older when all of your dreams are reruns. Barbara and I were talking this morning about how we both dreamed last night, and I asked her, I said, did you have any reruns? <laughs> and uh, we laughed about that. But we are getting older, and the older I get, the more important I realize fathers to be. Fathers need to step up to the plate, as it has been said. That means to accept the responsibility that we have as fathers. Fathers are to be leaders, as we'll see this morning. And uh, they have been likened to the point man in the jungles of Vietnam who went out in front before all of the other soldiers. He was the point man, literally. And his job was to look out for any dangerous uh, booby trap, anything like that. That was his job, and so it was a hazardous job. Very important one. And there was a gentleman who wrote a book about the need for fathers to be point men, to go out front, be in front, lead their family through this jungle of life. If you're not familiar with the Vietnam era, then that might not mean too much to you. But go back and read about it. You might even find that book somewhere. It's worthy of study and meditation. But the good book, the Bible, tells us about the importance of fathers. And this morning, I want us to look at a father who was truly worth following. This man's name was Job. Job may very well be the earliest book of the Bible. The setting, it is agreed by most Bible scholars, is during the patriarchal period. He lived in the land of Uz. A man by the name of Uz was a descendant of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. 
And it may be that this was his land. It was an area east of Palestine on the border of the Arabian Desert. And as you read the book of Job, you'll find that though it was near the desert, it was a very fertile land and great pasture land. When you read of the tremendous herds and flocks that Job had, it had to be in order to take care of the grazing needs of all of the animals that he had. He was a blessed man. But as you read about Job, he's introduced, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Continue reading with me verses 4 and 5. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. That last verse should not go unheeded. Job was deeply concerned about the spiritual state of his children. That's what that verse is about. It was a time of offering, so they offered sacrifices during the patriarchal dispensation, we know, because Cain and Abel, in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, brought their offerings. Cain's offering was rejected by God, but Abel's was accepted. And we read about that in Hebrews chapter 11 as well as in other places in the New Testament Scriptures. But as you think about Job, I want you to think of him as a father. He was a righteous man and a father. Two very admirable qualities. Fathers we know are to be leaders. They're to be tra uh, trainers. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22 verse 6. As noted on the screen, early training determines the track that a child takes. That is a general principle that generally is true. There may be some exceptions where there may have been intervention that has led to a child being turned from a dangerous way. But the principle of train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it is a general rule of thumb. 
Job gave to his children the best gift that he could possibly give, a good example. That is the best gift that a father can give to his children, to be a good example before them. You can talk until you're blue in the face, and it may fall on deaf ears. But what the eyes see is what is best remembered. So what a child sees in father and in mother, but we're talking about fathers today, that's going to be what will make an impression. One of the Ingersoll boys, there were two of them, Charles and Ralph, and they both were agnostics at best and perhaps full-fledged infidels, not believing in God. And I've forgotten which one of them it was that said the only argument he had never been able to refute in reference to the existence of God was the godly life lived by his mother. He didn't say anything about his dad, so far as I know. But he pointed to the power of example. That's true of fathers as well as mothers. Children need to have a good example from their father. I want us to look at a quote that Brother Posey mentions that says, A father is neither an anchor to hold us back nor a sail to take us there, but a guiding light whose love shows the way. I think that is a marvelous statement. Fathers maybe have the power and the authority to coerce us to do something. That may not always be effective. But if that father keeps living a godly life, that'll be an argument that no child will ever be able to refute as far as influence goes. Let's remember that. And fathers, we need to let our love shine and show the way, not just teaching the way. I've mentioned a few things about Job. Here are some other things. He may be the descendant, a descendant of Shem. You can check out 1 Chronicles 1.17 and some other statements in that regard. Lived during the patriarchal period. Maybe the earliest book of the Bible. But here are some other things. Job lost everything. He lost wealth. He lost health. He lost family. His wife seems to have lived a while. But she saw him suffering very badly. But she asked, why don't you just curse God and die? But God had bigger and better plans for him. She did not know that God had allowed this to happen to Job. But he had put a limit on how far Satan could go. He said, you can even afflict him with a disease, but you can't take his life. And uh, this may be selfish, but I'm, I'm quite thankful that that's the way it was done because we can learn so much 
from Job's example, when we have to deal with difficulties in life. Job is a great example. He lost his wealth, his health, and his family, and then he asked the question of the ages. Why? Do you ever ask that question? I do. I think all of us do. But when you study this book, it really comes down to Job wondering, just like we wonder about things. Why is this happening to me? You know, why am I supposed to deal with all of this? What about the Sabaeans who came and killed my children? You know, took all my livestock. I mean, this man lost everything. And depending on whether the word is Hebrew or Arabic, the name Job may mean persecuted one or repentant one. You'll go through a series of speeches by his friends. Job too. Job talks quite a bit in this book. His friends trying to help him and trying to solve this riddle. Said, you know, you must have done something terribly wrong. There must be a secret sin hidden somewhere in the deep recesses of your life and it'd just help if you'd just tell us what it is. And Job said, no, it's not there. I don't understand it. But I'm not going to deny God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But Job had four really good qualities that would serve all of us fathers really well. They're all mentioned in the very first verse. Let's look at them. Number one, Job was blameless. Not sinlessly perfect, no. But exemplary in his reputation. Elders who serve in the Lord's church are to be blameless. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That qualification is given in 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. They are to be men of good reputation and respected in a general way in reference to their lives and even in specific areas of their life. This word denotes the fact that there is an intense desire to please God in good times and in bad times. Somebody has said that smooth seas do not make good sailors. There are a lot of people who need to appreciate that principle. Fathers have to go through difficult times sometimes. As Christians, we have to go through difficulties. That's just life. Tom Holland used to call it the college of hard knocks. He said, when you graduate from college you'll enter the university of hard knocks and you got to be ready for it because it does come. Well, life can be difficult. It is often difficult, but we have to use, to, to use a common expression, we have to quote man up, don't we? We have to be strong, just like Paul encourages us to be in the book of Ephesians and in many other of his writings. But I want you to look at the character, the moral character of Job. What kind of a man was he when he was prospering and had all of these vast herds 
and a wonderful family and had the respect of his friends and everybody else. He was a good man. He was blameless. He wasn't proud. He wasn't pompous. He didn't think he had arrived. He said, I want to do God's will. Why do you think he would go out and sacrifice those uh, animals on behalf of his children for fear that they may have sinned against God or cursed God? He was trying to make atonement for their sins. What about in adversity? When adversity came, how did he respond? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Whatever God chooses to do, I am not going to deny him. And then he faced that period of perplexity. Why? Why? Why is this happening? He just couldn't understand it. Well, you know, if I can't understand it, I, I think I'll just give up and quit. I'm going to... I'm going to curse God and die. I'm going to turn, I'm going to deny him. There can't be a God if all these things are happening to me. No, Job didn't reason that way. Job said, There is a God. I believe him and I believe in him, and I'm going to live for him. We fathers need to be blameless to have a good reputation. Job was highly respected by people, not so much because of his material wealth, but because he was simply a good man. Remember that virtuous woman's husband, Proverbs 31? He sits in the gate. That's where the wise and renowned men sat to help make decisions and to deal with issues that might arise in society. He was respected. Fathers need to be respected, and they can have that respect when they are blameless and live a good life. Secondly, Job was upright. The New King James uses that word, blameless and upright. To be upright is to be in a right relationship with God, first and foremost, and to have a good relationship with others as a result of that. Most of the time, the proper relationship with God will equal a good relationship with other people. Now, it may not always turn out that way because there are some people who are scornful, they're proud and arrogant, and they will look down upon anyone who is weak enough, uh, weak enough, in quotation marks, to be religious. There are people who think that believing in God is a crutch. They never realize that everybody needs a crutch because we're all crippled by sin. And God is the one who can pick us up and carry us when we can't even go any farther. You remember the story of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, a descendant of King Saul? When Saul and his boys were killed, the nurse picked up Mephibosheth and fled because she knew 
that the enemies of Saul would be coming for that boy. And later on, David got to thinking about Saul. And he sought out Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was dropped by that nurse as she fled, and he became a cripple. And he stands as a great example of what sin does to us. You see, we are like Mephibosheth in that we're crippled by sin, and we sometimes need help getting along. And that's where God comes in. Job was upright in his concern for his children. Is there a parent in this audience today who would say, I don't want what's best for my children? We all want what's best for our children. But sometimes we have a hard time figuring out what is best. Went to an event the other night with my grandson and son-in-law. And some of us were standing around talking afterwards. There was this one man who was talking about what he's going to give his boy. He's going to give him a new Camaro. That's fine. Lots of times fathers and mothers buy a vehicle for their child. and That's sort of to be expected. But I mean, it was apparent that this was one of the most important things in the world, this man thought to do for his child. And I thought, that's nice. He said he couldn't make up his mind between a Mustang and a Camaro. I said, why don't you just get him both? You know, if you're going to do that, go down that road. But anyway, I thought that is sort of symptomatic of our culture today. I could count on one hand the number of guys that had a, a car when I graduated from high school. <laughs> I mean, there just wouldn't, and if they did have one, it was not a brand new one. There was one or two guys that had one, but we all made it. And I'm not begrudging those who get a new vehicle. Sometimes that's necessary. You don't want them driving a rattle trap several hundred miles to go to school or something like that. You want something that's dependable. I understand that. But we think about all these things. Remember, the best gift you can give your child is a good example. Not only tell them how to live, but show them how to live. And what about the spiritual concerns? Job was not interested in how much he's going to leave his children to the neglect of, I'm going to teach them to remember God and put Him first. So he taught them the importance of sacrifice. Notice, notice what it says. Like Abra of Abraham, it is said, he arose early. Same thing is said of Job. When Abraham was going to go offer Isaac, he rose early. When Job went out to offer sacrifices for his boys, he rose early to go and do that. Why? Because it's urgent. It's on his mind. He might not have been able to sleep really well because he's thinking about what I got to do in the morning. He wanted those boys and his daughters too to know the difference between good and evil. There's a lot of young people today who rebel. Job tried to teach his boys and his girls 
love for God, you know, not rebellion, but love for God. We must be careful about the example that we set. Fathers, if you're stopped by a cop and your children are with you, how do you react? Well, I don't know why he's stopping me. Look at all these other people driving faster than I am. He got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. And sometimes, you know, I know there are some cops that are not all they should be. But by and large, they're a pretty good lot. And we need to show respect, not so much for maybe that individual rogue cop, but for the principle of duly constituted authority. That's important because no society can exist for very long without it. We have to have that order, that control, Self-control, that's where it begins. But then we have to respect those other things. And above all, the authority of God in our lives. Third quality, Job feared God. There was a reverential trust in God that was evident in Job's life. And that was coupled with his hatred for evil, about which we'll speak more in just a moment. Job maintained his integrity against all odds when he suffered adversity, when he just didn't understand. He still trusted God. In chapter 1, verse 22, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He didn't say, God is, God is not treating me fairly. He suffered patiently. James writes of the patience of Job in the epistle by that name. In chapter 13, verse 15, he told his friends, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He will have reason for doing it, should he slay me. Remember, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Well, Job illustrated that. He demonstrated it before his children. He demonstrated it before his friends. Prior to their deaths, that is the death of his children, he showed them the way. So Job feared God. We're taught in the Scriptures to fear Him, to have a reverential respect, a reverential awe, if you please. We are to stand in awe of His greatness. The psalmist talks about the book of nature, and he opens it for us to see that God is truly a magnificent and all-powerful being. And then he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, Psalm 19, verse 7. That's the second book that we are to open and study daily, meditate upon day and night, as the psalmist tells us. Job feared God. How much do we fear God? How much reverence do we have for Him? How highly do we speak of His name or do we take it in vain? God is to be respected. His Word is to be respected. His church is to be respected. 
Job feared God. And then the fourth one, Job shunned evil. He did not deny the existence of evil. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 9, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22 tells us to abstain from the very appearance of evil. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that appear very evil to me that's going on in our world today. All we have to do is watch a newscast. I saw something the other day on a, on a newscast where two guys were chasing another guy in one of our large cities. The one who was being chased ran over two, I believe, young ladies, knocking them down, and he fell in their midst. And one of those guys, it's on camera, on video, ran up and at point-blank range shot that man right there with those two children. You think about something like that happening in broad daylight on the streets of this land. That's evil. Evil, as we used to say up in the country, gone to seed. That's about as terrible and horrendous a thing as you could think of. And yet in one of our cities, it is said that the murder rate has increased 553%. Evil is present. There is no denying it. Job refused to countenance evil. He shunned it. I will not give my approval to it, he said. And if we ever reach that point, to where we are not troubled by those things. Our soul is in grave jeopardy. As an individual, as a community, as a nation. Someone was talking not long ago, making the point about how sometimes we are prone to say, well, you know, I've heard that lesson before, so I can just, Throw my mind in neutral, you know, and coast through this one. I don't need to pay attention to it. Anytime an individual begins to think, oh, I've heard that before, not important to me. That individual is in grave danger of losing his soul. Peter said, I'm writing to put you in remembrance. They had already heard all these things, but Peter said, I am concerned about you losing your soul, going back to the world, and ended up in a, a worse state than you were before you ever became a Christian. Sometimes people say, well, hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil. And I mean, I'm just going to ignore it all. Well, Job said no. I am not going to countenance these things. Children's song tells us to watch our ears, our tongue, our eyes, and so on. We sang it during uh, vacation Bible school. Very important what we see. What are you watching? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? I remember preaching a sermon on some of the filthy music that was being played years ago. 
I had a quote from a young man who said, if my mom and dad knew what I was listening to, it would blow their mind. What are we listening to? What are we saying? Do we speak words of encouragement? Or do we tell filthy stories and spread gossip and all of those things? Ephesians 4.29 tells us to refrain from com corrupt communication. Some fathers seem to think that the more they curse, the more manly they're being before their boys. That's not the case. Not the case at all. A man is one who can control himself, including his tongue. He loves justice. He seeks what is good. Jeremiah said, I can't find such a man in Jerusalem years ago. One who honors God and respects Him. Fathers should not support, participate in, or encourage in any way evil doing. Can't be a good example by doing that. Fathers worth following are the fathers who blaze a trail for all their family to follow. Their example is worthy of imitation. Faithful father, fathers can do what Job did later on. He can reflect on a life well lived. He asked on one occasion, why is God doing this to me? But then he says later on, God has blessed me. He has blessed me. Job died old and full of days. Job 42, verse 17. I want you to leave with this thought today. God is the ultimate Father. He's the Father of us all. He created us. He sustains us. He will judge us. And in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Paul tells us, be imitators of God as dear children. Are you a dear child of God? Have you repented of your sins? confessed your faith in Jesus as God's Son, and been immersed in water for the remission of those sins, rising a new creature to be a follower of Christ the remainder of your days. If you haven't, fathers, mothers, young people, today would be a good day for you to begin that life as a child of our Heavenly Father. If you've gone back from following Him into the world of sin, shame and darkness. You need to come, repent of that sin, be restored to your first love.